Why, hello. I am so glad you stopped by for a visit. What do you think of the Here's Hoping October construction project? I know, I know. Construction and renovations take time. But it's definitely coming along. Now, you might remember that during this renovation, I'm introducing you to some of my favorite conversations from my first podcast, Friends for the Journey. Little packages that you can take with you and enjoy on your own time. Think of it like curbside pickup. Today, I've set up a little sidewalk kiosk so you can take along one of my three conversations with Roberta Damon. Now, sometimes during construction or renovation of one's life, a little destruction needs to occur, a breaking down of our expectations or our plans. And that can sometimes be really difficult. But sometimes it's not as difficult as we expect it to be, which, not gonna lie, can sometimes be a little weird. So as the conversation between Roberta Damon and myself, Roberta Damon and me, when you listen to the conversation I have with Roberta and it rolls through your mind, I invite you to notice what sticks in your imagination, what resonates in your mind, what seems to shine for you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Roberta Damon. And as always, here's hoping. Roberta, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Oh, yes. Did you have any doubt? (laughs) (laughs) None at all. Not at all. I just... And in full disclosure... I have in front of me our email conversation, and I've actually highlighted parts of our respective conversation because I've so enjoyed thinking about what we've talked about and just having the opportunity to kind of ruminate together. Catherine, you know, when you say full disclosure, I thought you were going to tell me you were sitting down in your pajamas or something, you know. Uh, Yeah, I should should probably change that full disclosure thing. Good heavens to Murgatroyd. (laughs) That's right. I mean, you don't have to tell everything, do you? (laughs) Well, first of all, I'm so excited to talk to you again, Roberta. Well, I've looked forward to it. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, What are some of your thoughts regarding where our conversation shall go? Well, I think, first of all, we probably need to think about the subject at hand. Mm-hmm. You and I talked about um, about living with hope, living mm-hmm. in hope. And uh, I always think of that as leaning forward, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's, what's next? <laughs> yeah. So uh, that, that, I think that would be grist for our mill. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I heard something today that I wanted to share with you. And I was wondering how I would stitch it into our conversation. But what you just said right now with regards to living into and leaning into hope makes it that much more congruent. Good. 
what I heard was the governor of Utah who said in a public announcement, I, like you, am tired of 2020. Mm. <laughs> I, I can't imagine anybody who's enjoying this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he went on to say, I'm tired of wearing a mask. I'm tired of social distance. I'm tired of mm. not being able to spend quality time with my loved ones. Mm. This moment that we're in as the seasons change, regardless of what hemisphere we happen to be in, the seasons are changing from summer into autumn and winter, or in the Southern Hemisphere, from winter into spring into summer. That's right. This change of such distinct seasons is often accompanied by hope. That's true. And Catherine, I'm, I'm tired of political attack ads. Yes. I don't, I don't care which side they come from. <laughs> I, you know, I just wish they'd hush. <laughs> and just, yeah. And, and, and they will in a few days. And so, you know, <laughs> but believe you me, I'm counting the days. And yes. I, I imagine a lot of people are. Yeah. So, Roberta, I'm wondering if I can set this table before us with a particular buffet of a question. Would you be open to... I love the metaphor. I always, <laughs> I always love a set table, you know, if I don't have to set it. <laughs> Absolutely. So allow me to set the table with all of the accoutrements that we'll need for a nourishing conversation. All right. Right on. So this year has been a challenging year for everyone. And in a way, this year provides this a backdrop and a tableau for all of our listeners, because everyone has experienced upheaval and trauma in their lives. Mm, yes. And so when we are in the midst of this upheaval, and it doesn't have an end point in sight. Hmm. This sense of discomfort and pain and longing can become this constant companion in our lives. We become used to that kind of pain and difficulty. That can easily become calcified in our mind or in our heart or in our spirit. It can calcify into cynicism for the future. Mm. Yes. And a sense of hopelessness. Oh, my. What might an alternative be to that calcification? Well, first of all, Catherine, the, the minute you mentioned cynicism, I'm, I'm just thinking how corrosive it is. <clears throat> you know, uh, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every way, yeah. it just, it, it dries up our bones and mm. it makes us, well, cynics. Yeah. And uh, who wants to live that way? Yeah. Uh, it's so negative. It's so, it's, it's life destroying. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, 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 you know, it's bad enough to suffer the kinds of slings and arrows of outrageous 
fortune. I think somebody wrote about that somewhere. <laughs> uh, in fact, didn't you have to memorize that when you were in school? Yes. <laughs> but it's just better in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against the sea of troubles and yes. by opposing end them. And by the way, one of the things that I'm doing just as an exercise is going back and picking up things that I had to memorize years ago mm-hmm. and memorizing new things to me. Oh, yeah. And as as I do my, um, I have, have to walk because I'm getting old and the doctor said it would be good for me to walk. Um, and so while I walk, I think my brain also needs ex- exercise. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have about a dozen poems that I've tucked away in my brain and I say them over and over as I walk. So it, it it's um but but getting back to that business of of negativity and cynicism mm-hmm. and corrosiveness uh I think we have to finally come to the conclusion that we have choices you know mm-hmm. and we don't have to go in that direction we're not yeah. forced to do it we we literally we end up choosing to do it yeah and and I think that there are there are better ways to live mhm Mm-hmm. Boy, that's a deep, that was a deep sentence, wasn't it? Oh, I <laughs> loved it. Better, well, well, there are. There are. <laughs> yeah, it's right. I love your inclusion of the the presence of choice, that there are options available. Because in the pantheon of options of how we as human beings can respond to events in our lives, Each one of the options that we have before us has this long history that rolls out behind it. Mm. Cynicism, it rolls all the way back to the Greeks. (laughs) And that original belief or the philosophical perspective that all of human conduct is motivated only by self-interest. Oh, dear heaven, isn't that miserable? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, and it's it's absolutely inimical to anything that we have ever been taught and every, everything that we've ever experienced yeah. in our spiritual lives mm-hmm. that, that we, you know, we're looking out for number one. Do you remember those books that they published way back? You're probably not old enough to remember, but there's one, uh, Looking Out for Number One. Oh, yes. And uh, can you imagine living yeah. that way? I don't give a rip about anybody else. Uh, I'm going to get mine, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And And by the way, Catherine, you know, I think you talk about hopelessness and helplessness and mm-hmm. suffering and all that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, we can get cynical about minor nuisances, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the minutiae of life. Uh, somebody cuts us off in traffic. You know, my question is always, how much emotional energy do I really have or do I want to spend on that little event? I mean, it can set my day and mm-hmm. my teeth on edge. Yeah, and I can I can mull about it and and be angry at some stranger who mm-hmm. maybe inadvertently did it, or maybe they did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. But merciful heaven, how much how much energy do you want to spend on that? <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, I don't I don't have that kind of energy anymore. So. <laughs> I have to, I have to kind of let it go out in dribbles, you know. But I, I, but but Catherine, I am not going to spend my life always seeing the dark side, always seeing yeah. the negative side, yeah. and it it becomes habitual, doesn't it? It does. It does. 
And you've hit on a beautiful point that I'd love to I'd love to expand on. Oh, do. You and I have talked about the importance and the value of telling one's story. Mm, yes. And how that reassures not only the person who tells the story, but also the listener. Yes. Um, I'm a, <laughs> I, I have listened to many, many stories over the years in my counseling. Yeah. And, and you know, I think uh, I've, I've really heard people to say, you know, my story isn't very interesting or you really don't want to hear this or mm-hmm. whatever. But but I really do, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, sometimes I look at my own story and I've written it. But um, beyond writing, the writing of it, you know, it, well, let's see now. I've got it in print, and so let's just let it go. And if anybody wants to read it, that's fine, but I don't want to have to mess with it anymore. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, mm-hmm. when I sit down to tell my own story, it's good for me from time to time to do that, mm-hmm. even though maybe I feel like I work through all the bumps. Mm-hmm. But But at least I can say, I am not now where I was back then. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have to carry that anymore. I've come a long way. I've learned a lot. I've grown some. There is some value in that, I think. Mm-hmm. And then as I tell mine, it, it helps others to say, oh, well, maybe I need to tell mine as well. And as that person has listened to me, they know that I'm going to listen in turn, mm-hmm. and I will value what they have to say. And so I think that's that's important. Mm-hmm. And then um, I just think that when we share our stories, you know, there's that memory that's triggered. Oh, yeah, I've been there. I've mm-hmm. walked that particular path. I know what that's like. And I don't mean to say, oh, I know how you feel, because I really don't. (laughs) It's not that. (laughs) I mean, sometimes I can guess. But but mostly it's the idea of, I've been where you are. I've come through this. And if I can do it, you can. If somebody else did it before I did it, then I can do it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's that, that bit of encouragement that comes along. So uh, there's a lot of value, I think, in sharing our stories with each other. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. And this image comes to mind of this two-dimensional photograph or painting that takes on this three-dimensional lush experience Yes. when we share our stories. Because there seems to be, and, and, and I'd like to check this out with you to see if I'm barking up the right tree, so to speak. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. Catherine. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> I'm counting on you. Okay. Well, you asked for it. <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. So there seems to be a difference to reflect on that initial philosophical definition of a cynic, mm. where the focus is all about me versus sharing the story as a way of this is where I have been. There's this sense that one process, that self-focused part, is an important step along the journey towards sharing a story, but it's a step along the path and not an end goal mm. in and of itself. I, I think you're right. I do. And I and I do believe that in that sharing event, uh, 
mm-hmm. that uh, relationships begin very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how do married people ever really get to know each other before they hitch up? Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? yeah. <laughs> uh, they, you'd better know a little bit about that person mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. going to spend the rest of your life uh, with him or her. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly in this day and age, it's with him or her, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. But friendships begin this way as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, you think about the important people in your life. And uh, it's not that you share willy-nilly with just anyone who comes down the path. Yeah. Uh, but but you there are people that you choose to let into your life. And I think this is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Catherine, I think you're right. You, did you hear me say that? I think you're right. I did. I'm I'm dining out on that. I'm like I'm I'm super thrilled. <laughs> well, you ought to be. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so this is it's a good thing. <laughs> well, well, it and having that touchstone of entertaining that there is that kind of self reflection that occurs, and that that is different from the self focus. Hmm. that can lead towards cynicism. Oh yeah. So that self-reflection of one's own story and I'm recalling the time when you and I were sharing on the phone and I shared with you when my husband's church inadvertently sold all of our professional clothes. Oh my soul. And at the time it was simply so much a part of my own personal landscape and story that it didn't even raise a bump for me. It had become so much a part of who I was that the impact of that story got lost. I think you'd better tell it because, <laughs> <laughs> no, no kidding. I, I'll tell you this, Catherine. I, I, when I first heard it, mm-hmm. I, I found it so ridiculous that <laughs> such a thing would happen to anyone, much less a professional couple, needing to be dressed properly or dressed at all. I mean, you, there you cannot show up in your pajamas. You just can't. Yes. But, yes. But, but, but share that story. Okay, I will. My husband and I moved across country to his new church. And for a period of time, we were t- sort of temporarily homeless. We weren't technically homeless, but we had a period of time when we couldn't move into our permanent home, but we weren't able to stay in our temporary home. And so he stayed in a hotel and I stayed in a f- with a friend nearby. But since he was working as a minister with all of his, he needed his professional clothes and I was still interviewing for work, we took all of our professional clothes and we put them in the in a closet in my husband's church that was empty and it was not labeled. So we thought that it was just kind of an empty storage. He had only been serving in his church for about five and a half months or so. So we were still relatively new and we're still learning the ropes. And during that two-week period of time, he and I would both go to that closet and we'd pull out our professional clothes, either him for his meetings or me for my job interviews. Then unbeknownst to us, the uh, the women's uh, guild um, prepared for a rummage sale. You know, <laughs> these do-gooders. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I... I was busy with my job interviews and my husband was busy with his work and we really didn't think of it um, until that Sunday after we had finally moved into our house and 
I'd put on my best looking, okay, not, not very best looking, but they were my nicest casual clothes that I had and pulled on my tennis shoes so I could walk up to church and change into my actual professional clothes, got to the closet and opened up the closet and it was completely empty. So I thought that my husband had gathered all of the clothes and taken them up into his office so that it would be easier for us to just load them into the car and take them home. So about 10 minutes before the service or 15 minutes before the service began, I, I got up to his office and I asked him, where did you put all of our clothes? I'd like to change into my clothes for Sunday. Whoops. And the expression on his face told me that he had not done that. Oh. So... We both went down to the closet and discovered that the Women's Guild had found all of these clothes. Wonderful clothes, I would think. And added them to the rummage set. Wonderful clothes. Great. (laughs) Suits and professional women's clothes and a minister's shirt with a collar. (laughs) We can sell these cheap and and some dear person is going to be able to interview for jobs wearing these nice clothes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so all of our professional clothes were all gone. And it was an event that became, it almost became this road marker in our lives. And I had not told that story to many people. But when I shared it with you, you're, I mean, it's in a way, it's really kind of a funny story. Well, it is. I mean, if if you're not the one, if you're, as long as it doesn't happen to you. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, as long as you're not the one who doesn't have anything to wear. Exactly. Oh, merciful. <laughs> yes, I'm job interviewing today. I'm going to wear my bathrobe <laughs> and my fuzzy slippers. I have, I have my night. painting clothes. But, but <sighs> there's, there is that, that experience of telling the story that makes me feel very self-conscious. Because I'm telling a story about myself. And when I tell that story, that story reflects on other people. Mm. Not to point fingers, not to lay blame. No, but but merciful heaven. I mean, if anybody deserves <laughs> blame, it's those dear ladies who were trying to yeah. do a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and here, did you cry that day when you discovered that your clothes were gone? I did not, in part because when my husband and I both realized that all of our clothes were gone, it was 10 minutes before the beginning of the service. And oh, lovely. My. <laughs> Sorry, don't have time to cry. <laughs> exactly. With this realization, I just kind of shooed him off to go prepare for the service so that he, <sighs> you know, wouldn't burst into tears in front of the church or start yelling. Did, wait, wait, wait. Did he have something to wear that day? Well, he he had picked out his suit <sighs> the, the week prior. And so when he was staying at oh. his hotel, he had his one suit that he would wear oh, for for Sunday services. And he that yeah. would just be what he would wear for Sunday. So you, you had your tennis shoes and he had his suit. <laughs> and my tennis shoes. <laughs> but it's not fair. <laughs> but the challenge at the time was that there was a representative of the Women's Guild who happened to be there and she was devastated. Oh, so she was weeping and wailing. And so literally, was she? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was mortifying for her. It was also very mortifying for everyone involved. But here's the challenge. 
this is in part the challenge. And I have found this each time that I have reflected on this particular story. And I've noticed it also when I've had other people tell their stories. There is this slide that can occur from camaraderie to sympathy down into pity. Ah, a slide. That, that's, a, that's a pretty good slide. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a downward trajectory, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Oh, and so the challenge, there can be this pressure almost when telling a story or telling our story to tell it in a way that takes care of the other person. Well, then I'm not telling the story for me mm. to kind of embody that story and and do I tell the story in a way that does not engender that pity look from another person? Hmm. And so yeah. that's that's a challenge when it comes to those 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 heartbreaking moments in our lives when it, oh, there are so many to choose from in the, the year of our Lord 2020. Oh, let, let me ask you a question, Catherine. Yeah. Did you forgive that wailing lady? I mean, did I mean? Could you? Did you? <laughs> I mean, did you? Did you? You carried. I mean, certainly the story has stuck with you, and the circumstances stuck with you until you could replenish your closet. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I, I mean, how 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 long did it take you, and and how much money did they take in, and and did they recompense you at all, and. They they did they did the church the church really did make good uh so the you know the the moderator the uh, moderator of the church was mortified of course oh, everyone in the church was mortified and so they 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 definitely sure. made good sure. but what what a way to start a ministry in a new church I mean oh guess what you you all sold our clothes. <laughs> Mercy. Here, I think, is a, a really beautiful metaphor into the experience of grief and of how we carry our story with us. I maintained right after they sold our clothes and then for years afterwards that the Lord truly would be present in my life and in our lives and that when push comes to shove, our souls, my soul, is of more value than the clothes that I wear. Ah, oh, wow, Catherine. Okay, okay. Look, I, I, I'm sort of left speechless here, going. Uh, 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 uh. But, 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 but it, but it was exactly the right thing to do. It really was. I mean, what if you had carried it as a grudge? It, it, you know, for, forgiveness is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and actually, forgiving is in your own self-interest. I don't mean that you do it for that. Yeah. But who wants to carry that load around uh, with for years mm -hmm. and years, you know, and being filled with disgust mm -hmm. and hate toward the person who wronged you and all of that? Uh, it, that reminds me of uh, Lewis Smead's mm -hmm. book years ago, Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts You Don't Deserve. Yeah. And and uh, I, I love a lot of what he had to say, but out of that book has come my own um, sort of theory of forgiveness. And here here's my take on forgiveness. Yeah. See, the person who sold your clothes, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I know she did a lot of weeping and wailing, which was probably a nice thing. But um, very often 
when people wrong us, and, and it, she didn't do it maliciously mm-hmm. to begin with. Yeah. I mean, she, this really was an honest mistake, yeah. which is it's very different from somebody wanting to maliciously wound yes. you. Um, and so that's the kind of thing that, that it may be harder to, to forgive. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. considering that empty closet of yours. <laughs> But my soul. But but if when somebody really really sticks the dagger in and twists mm-hmm. it, and they do it on purpose mm-hmm. because they really want to wound us, my theory says this: that the perpetrator ought to just be wallowing in contrition mm-hmm. and feeling so horrible for this terrible thing that he or she has yeah. done, and that person comes to you weeping and saying, "Oh, please, I have done you wrong. Yeah. I." I my attitude was awful. I'm so sorry. I have repented. I I will never let that happen again. I don't want our relationship to be ruined. Mm-hmm. And would you please, please forgive me? And then it's your up to you whether you do or not. You know, and you really can say tough stuff. Yeah. You know? But uh, but again, then that puts the burden back mm-hmm. on you. But obviously, in real life, you know, Catherine, that doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. The person who sticks the yeah. dagger in and twists it will twist it some exactly. more and, and enjoy doing yeah. it. And so what do we do when somebody who really does owe us mm-hmm. an apology mm-hmm. and and puts us in into the situation where we must forgive or we live with mm-hmm. it? Um, you know, so what do we do if that person never asks pardon? Yeah. Uh, so I think that we have to learn to say pretty much what you did with these clothes. Mm-hmm. My soul is more important than what I wear. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Uh, again, you go back to even the inconsequential things that happened to mm-hmm. us. How much energy do I want to spend on that? Yeah. Well, when you get right down to it, how much energy do you want to spend when somebody has really wronged yeah. you? Uh, but and what does it do to you? What does it do to your character? Yeah. What does it do to what? How? What kind of person do you become mm-hmm. by saying I'm going to mull over this for the rest of my life and I hate your guts and I'm going to prove it every time I can yeah. possibly do it and I'll get you yet, you rat. <laughs> you know. Well, good luck. <laughs> you know? But I, I I do think that what we do is. At least release it. I think that's what you did when you said my soul is more important than my yeah. clothes. I want good to come out of this. I want to, I want to be able to minister mm-hmm. at, at this place. Yeah. But the release it to the Lord and say carry it. I, it's too heavy for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to be dragging this one around. Yeah. I'm reminded of in our first conversation um, during our warming our hearts by the hearth of hope conversation, Mm -hmm. your Mm -hmm. wonderful expression of taking that hurt and that pain and, you know, setting it on the shoulders of Christ Mm -hmm. and to let him carry it away, that we don't have to carry it alone. Well, and we have to remember that he's God and we're not. Yeah, yeah. Very often in this this world, uh, there are a lot of little people running around thinking they're little God's. And uh, I don't want to be one of them. Yeah. Well, in this point of when we turn it over to God, there is still that weight that we carry. And on this point of close, there was an event that happened about seven years after our clothes were sold that really 
really humbled me. Hmm. And one of the one of the items that was sold was one of my favorite comfortable fleece sweaters. And I'd put it with my professional clothes because it was my favorite. And whenever I was chilly or cold or just not happy, I would like wrap it around myself. <laughs> one of those things. All yes. of us have one of those things. Yes. And I'm a person who believes very strongly in having personal space. I mean, long before the coronavirus uh, came and did a tango in the middle of our lives, mm -hmm. I was a big believer that all of us have our own bubble and I respect everyone's bubbles. So I really don't invade other people's bubbles. And there's a, there's a reason why I include that. Mm. I happen to be going to work one day. And as I was walking through the parking lot to get to my job, this car pulled in to the parking lot and the woman who was driving the car rolled the window down and she asked me for directions. And she was wearing oh, my sweater. Please. Oh, for goodness. And, and did you rip it off of her? <laughs> <laughs> okay, lady, get out of that car. <laughs> My oh. first reaction oh. was just that. My first reaction was I wanted to burst into tears. That's when I wanted to cry. Oh. That's when I wanted to yell. That's when I, but I didn't. I gave her directions and then through the car window, I stepped close to the car and I said, that's such a beautiful sweater. And I actually reached into the window and just touched her shoulder. Oh, uh, kind of like to say goodbye to my sweater. Oh, you know? <laughs> oh my friend, how I loved you so. Yes, yes. <laughs> and off she went. Oh, Catherine. With the directions of where to go. And here's, here's why I bring that up, because I think that this is just, it's, it's that point of that, that forgiveness is this intellectual right. decision. It it's is this choice. choice that we make. And we still have that emotional energy and it is energy catherine it's it's because we are hardwired to remember absolutely i mean i mean you you know you might have if it had well here obviously you knew that was your sweater <laughs> but, i mean but but you know that, that triggered mm -hmm. Oh, a bunch of stuff in you, yeah. which brings me to ask, you know, you've heard it said, mm -hmm. if you haven't forgotten, mm -hmm. you really haven't forgiven. And yeah. I don't believe that for one minute. Absolutely. Because uh, somebody, I love this, somebody said, if, if God's forgiveness is based on my ability, mm -hmm. we're all in trouble. Oh, you yeah. Know? So God's grace is so much deeper than that and so mm -hmm. much greater than we can even begin to believe. Yeah. And so, you know, patience and fortitude, but we, we will remember. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I think we don't need to beat ourselves up because we do remember. Exactly. That's just part of being human. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost as if with each one of these moments that brings us pain that we work with, it's almost as if we are walking on the edge of a knife and that that edge of a knife is forgiveness with the past on one side and the future on the other side and mm. and very often it's framed in a way that it's it's an either or either you cling to the past or you look to the future yeah yeah absolutely C Catherine let me ask you something yeah 
how many, how many sermons do you think you've heard in your lifetime? Oh, that boy, <laughs> lots. Yeah, a bunch, a bunch. <laughs> yeah, a, a bunch. bunch. Yeah, uh, Paul Duke was a wonderful pulpiteer. Um, he came to First Baptist Church, Richmond, Virginia, during the Lenten services years mm-hmm. and years mm-hmm. ago. And of all the sermons that I've heard, I remember I remember a lot of what he said. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he said was this. He said, when bad things happen to us, we ask these questions. Why? Why me? Mm-hmm. Why this? Mm-hmm. Why now? Mm-hmm. And how long? Mm-hmm. And he said there are no good answers to any of those questions. <laughs> but he said there's one question that has a good answer, mm-hmm. and that question is this. What now? Yeah. In the light of what has happened to me, what now? Yeah. Do I become a cynic? Do I do I get curdled on the inside? Mm-hmm. Do I shrivel up and uh, become motivated by hatred and grudge? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or do I say my soul is more important than what I wear? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That introduces that possibility of the both and. We are the past and the future with all of the lumps and bumps and challenges and those lumps and bumps and pains and tears and sorrows don't define the future. That's right. And they don't have to. And they don't have to. Uh, Catherine, here's a story that I have not told you yet. Oh. But as I have thought through all of this, it, it came to my mind today. Our church years ago, established a partnership with a church in the little town of Ruzhamberak in Slovakia. Oh, wow. And for 10 years, every summer, we would send uh, a group of people who would go and do uh, a mission activity. And and for those 10 years, we we did an English camp. Everybody was eager to learn English. And so we would go, and and we had the children of the community come in. It was wonderful. Mm. But but Slovakia borders Poland. Mm. And one day, one of the men said, if you've never been to any of the camps of the Holocaust, if you're if you're interested, come along. Mm-hmm. I had my 13 year old granddaughter with me mm-hmm. at, at that time, and I, I wanted her to see this. And so we all got on a bus and went across the Polish border to the little town of Oswiecim, oh. which is better known as Auschwitz. Yes, we went through the camp. We had this wonderful guide. She was a, a lovely young woman who spoke heavily accented English, but perfectly correct English. Mm-hmm. And at the end of our tour of this horror, the crematoria, the, the oh Lord, mm. the, the bins of shoes and eyeglasses, <sighs> all this, it was baby clothes. Oh. You just, it was just horrific. But we stood at the end in the watchtower above the camp. And in that watchtower, you can look down and see the selection center wow. where the people, the, the train stopped there. And I recognized it from the movie Schindler's List. But, but that's where all those people just were disgorged from those cattle cars. And they were either sent to the crematory immediately or they were sent to slave labor. Mm-hmm. And 
the guide told us a story. She said, you know, in these latter years, people are coming and having reunions here at Auschwitz, the people who survived the camps. And she, she said, they're dying off now, of wow. course, because the years have passed. But she said, there is one story that I love above all others, and she told us that story. She said there was a young man, and by the way, his name was Jersey mm. Bilecki, and he fell in love with a young Jewish girl. Her name was Silas Abuska, and um, he had a friend who made uh, SS officers' uniforms, mm. sewed the uniforms, <laughs> and he said, I want you to make me a uniform. Mm. And the friend made him an SS officer's uniform. He put it on. He w marched himself over to her barracks and called out the number that was tattooed on her arm. And she came out and he grabbed her and he walked her out the front gate of that place. That Under that sign that says, Arbeit macht frei, labor liberates. And they, for two weeks, they... They slept during the day in the fields, mm -hmm. and they avoided all the roads, and they finally got to his home. He went to fight with the resistance, and she was hidden by a family in Krakow. At, at liberation, they both sought the Swedish Red Cross mm -hmm. to see if they could find each other. And she was told that he had been killed, oh. and he was told that she had been discovered and murdered. Oh. So he stayed in Poland. He married and had a family. She immigrated to New York, and she married and had a family mm -hmm. eventually. Mm -hmm. And anyway, one day she was telling this story to her cleaning woman, and she said he died. And the cleaning woman said, no, he didn't. She said, I heard, I heard an interview. He's alive. <gasps> and so she got, she got in touch with the Red Cross. They found that each of them were living. And she called him and said, do you know who this is? And he said, of course I know who this is. Oh. And they planned a reunion at Auschwitz. And he said, I, I will meet you at the selection center. And he got there first, and he held in his arms 34 red roses. Oh, my God. One, one for every year they had been apart. They had their reunion. And then he went back to his family, and she went back to her family. But, you know, I, I, I have had to make... Uh, I have had to make spiritual connection with his story. Yeah. And I think that the young man, it was the Christ figure. Yeah. And I believe that this is exactly what Jesus does for us. Wow. He meets us at the point of estrangement, of pain, of suffering, of hopelessness and helplessness. And he holds in his arms blood red roses plucked from the gardens of paradise. Wow. Tender tokens of his sacrificial love. This is love poured out, and it is our hope. Amen. Oh, yes. man. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I had opportunity to tell that story in, during the wellness retreats for MTM. Wow. And so some, some of your listeners who've been through wellness retreats may, may remember that they heard that mm -hmm. years ago. But it's something that's just haunted me through the years. Oh, yeah. That good haunting that it comes back again and again when we are in our darkest moment to just lay its hand upon our back to remind us 
we don't have to do this alone. That's right. Wow. And that's what that's what hope is all about, isn't it? Yep. Wow. Mm. I got to tell you, my mentor Eloise would have loved you, <laughs> and I would have loved her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, Catherine, you are a treasure. Oh. And I'm I'm so grateful to God that um, that He put us together. As am I, Roberta. Thank you so much for this time to share together. What a meal we've shared here at this table that we've set. That's right. And uh, maybe we'll meet again over a, over another meal. How would that be? Consider me there with a napkin tied round my neck. I will gladly <laughs> set the table. Oh, Catherine, I love you. <laughs> you take care. Listen, as I, my friend the other day said to me, take care of your dear self. Isn't that dear? That and is. I just, I, I pass it along to you. Take care of your dear self. Oh, okay? thank you so much, Roberta. And take care of your dear self and God bless you. <laughs> and you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Wow. Thanks again for stopping by today. It really means a lot that you came by to visit. Be sure you watch your step on your way out. And remember, Here's Hoping is still around, even in our evolving state, with episodes releasing every two weeks for a little while. As always, with your comments, questions, wishes, or whatever, as always, you can reach me by email. Here's hoping podcast at gmail.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Construction audio has been obtained from Zapsplat. Original artwork for Here's Hoping has been created by Ty Sorax with additional graphics created with Canva. And today, I'll leave you with a quote from the book Watership Down, one of my all time favorites. And this, wow, this is a good one. To come to the end of a time of anxiety and fear, to feel the cloud that hung over us lift and disperse, the cloud that dulled the heart and made happiness no more than a memory, this, at least, is one joy that must have been known by almost every living creature. Ain't it true? I hope, here's hoping, that you have a moment of experiencing that thrill. Thanks again for stopping by. Take care of yourself. See you next time. Bye.